Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. I used to be just like you. Just like you, 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 you. Used to clown around. Make fun of the principal. Put milk on my head, just like you, Rodriguez. <laughs> and then, I got hit with AIDS. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, we have a special guest, a surprise guest on the show today. Um, I should have told you about really? this. Yes, I should have told you, but I didn't. So meet our surprise guest. Can you see that? What is, is that a... I can see an animal of some sort in a cage. It's a, what? It's a hamster. Her name is Harmony. Is that your little hamster, Dan? It's uh, the the school's hamster, and I guess we're taking care of him for the weekend. Oh, my God. What if you kill it? I would never agree to that. No, like yeah, whole- not just kill it, but like my dog. I mean, if we have him up in a garage apartment, but my if my dog was anywhere near this hamster, it would be gone <laughs> in a seriously <laughs> grisly way in like five minutes. And even being around me, I was like, I was I was horrible for hamsters uh, as a kid. Like they they I don't think I had a hamster for more than three days before the hamster just died. I was like the yeah, Hitler yeah. of hamsters. You're like of mice and men. You're like, oh, <laughs> nice hamster. <laughs> exactly. But you know what I'm realizing now, now that I'm not a kid anymore, is that hamsters kind of suck. <laughs> they're, 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 pets they're, in general, pets in general, like, you know, at least dogs give you love or whatever. But pets in general, it's like hilarious that human beings will sign up to like clean shit from like some like animal. That's from like, a hamster be- cage. I mean, they should be they should be cleaning our shit. Like we should have animals that like they don't do asses. anything. They just sit there. There's this wheel. I guarantee that hamster has never been on the wheel. It, it, <laughs> and they're they're not cute. They're because they're too small, really. And yeah, no, there's nothing really interesting or good about a hamster. I, I first of all, I love pets. So I love cat. I love cats. We can't have one because that would also be. Uh, just a mid-afternoon snack for my pit bull, but pit bull owners are so defensive too. About like here, you are admitting how violent your dog is. I'm surprised your dog. Well, it's hard dog. for me to be too defensive when my <laughs> that dog has attacked my, uh, other dogs on, on numerous occasions. Uh, he's great with people, though. God, the, it's my it's my the basset that's bad with people. Yeah, you don't like pets enough. I don't think. 
I, I mean, I, I do. when I have them, I love them. And like, I'm just so, I'm so empathic that I, I, it's too difficult for me. Like when they die, like a, if a goldfish, like I bought my daughter, like, you know, these stupid beta fish when she was a kid and like it died after a week and I was like heartbroken. I was like, I don't know. I, this is not worth it. Not worth it. For a goldfish? <laughs> yeah. I'm too emotional. Goldfish really have it rough. I think they're probably the least cared for of all species. Because you get them, like first of all, at like some pets. like they're... carnival, right? I mean, you get it. bring them home in that little plastic bag. And just <laughs> yeah, like a week fun. later, you're flushing them down the toilet. <laughs> Future you... generations are going to look back and just be appalled at how just cavalier <laughs> we were with the lives of goldfish. <laughs> Once we find out that like they're emitting like super highly intelligent brainwave activity, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing so. a goldfish couldn't do to us that we wouldn't have coming. Well, so you know, rem- that reminds me, at some point we have to re-pick up the topic of veganism. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, maybe we can have. Uh, who are we going to have for that, Vlad? How's our T-shirt thing going, by the way? It's it's going. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit this out. Yeah, I just have to just actually do it. Yeah. I got everything but like remember when I sent you the t-shirt design yeah I yeah, know we were it, so it close everything but yeah it was just it's just a matter of me actually like clicking the buttons like just I've been busy down I've been busy I've I know because he had vertigo right <laughs> vertigo for like a week did you like cause a fellow cop to fall to his death because of it though <laughs> wait what is, is that an allusion to, to the movie vertigo yeah am I forgetting the uh, beginning of vertigo that's really good. I just saw it. It is. We totally do a, up. You know, and I'm, I'm sure that this is the most boring intro we've done to this point. <laughs> but, we've had a really good hamster actually, discussion, I think. But uh, we should do a Hitchcock, some episode on some Hitchcock movies. Cause yeah, I've been that's watching, a good idea. I just watched Rope. Oh, Have yeah. You ever watch Rope? Yeah. You know, it's like one one shot sort of style. And it's also very much Leopold and Loeb. The it's story. Leopold and Loeb, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, we're going to talk today about the just world phenomenon, just world belief, belief in a just world and its effects on your other beliefs and also questions about why we have why we have this belief in a just world assuming we do and then we'll relate it to another recent paper about a motivated belief that in free will right, that right. Uh, i know we've talked a lot about free will lately but this sort of along the lines of the motivation yeah. to believe in a just world or we, yeah we'll see because we might have some disagreement yeah. about that but first i got an email and i actually after the, the whole SAE thing. So at the University of Oklahoma, I'm sure at least all of our American listeners know about this already. There, there was a video that surfaced of the SAEs, which is a fraternity, at the University of Oklahoma, and they were engaged in a just <laughs> unbelievably abhorrent <laughs> chant. Like, like in this day and age. I'm flabbergasted. This is your fraternity, right? This is this. Yeah. Well, I was in I was in SAE at yeah an undergrad for three years. I I deactivated my my fourth year, but you know I have nothing against fraternity. You know my obviously my fraternity. We didn't do that. I think. In, I was like, I thought you would have recognized the chant immediately. <laughs> yeah, no. It just started automatically singing along. Our chants were. I mean, they were dirty, but they were. 
uh, <laughs> dirty. They were equal opportunity. They were dirty. racist. They were just misogynistic. <laughs> yeah, they weren't even misogynistic. So, so, so anyway, let me read this email that I got because yeah. I was expecting. So the, the, for, again, for maybe our listeners in another country, University of Oklahoma acted right away. They, they kicked them out of the house. They no longer, and, and SAE, the national SAE charter also just cut all ties with, with, with the house. Two students were later expelled. And anyway, I got this email, which I was expecting more of, but I just got this one. Dr. Summers, I wanted to start out, I want to start by saying I enjoy the VBW podcast with yourself and Dave Pizarro. When you had Sam Harris on the podcast last, you had a, discuss- you had a discussion of the Twitter mob, and you mentioned that you thought the mob should basically keep to itself and that this public shaming thing seemed to be overdone or nothing more than self-promotion. I wonder if, in light of the Oklahoma University SAE fraternity incident, if this is not the perfect use of the mob. These people have had to pay a very heavy price for their racist views, and it was primarily this mob that exposed the, uh, who these people were. I guess I feel in this case the mob worked, and I was curious if you agreed or if you still, or still felt this was nothing more than overwrought public sanctimony. Okay, uh, and this is from John Tuffin. You know, this is interesting because I had that same thought, actually. Is this a case where the Twitter mob did its job properly? So actually, you have to tell me how, how this unfolded because I was not on the Internet heavily due, due to my ailments. Due and to your vertigo. Did, the twi- did, it, did it explode on Twitter? Well, this was sort of uh, my, my response in the email was – I'm not sure if this is necessarily a great example of the Twitter mob doing anything. This was picked up originally by the the daily newspaper, the Daily Oklahoman or, you know, the the university newspaper. And then because of how uh, horrific it was, it was immediately spread to all the major media outlets, BuzzFeed, you know, that's everything. It was on Slate, it was on, you know, it was on, no matter where you were, you saw this chant and Yes, of right, so, course. So somebody, Twitter so, was also a part stuff. of that, but it wasn't. I don't know if Twitter was the engine of it, right. and certainly, I don't think you know any individual. As soon as it was in the Daily Oklahoman, the university president and the SAE charter they they acted the way they did. I think as a result of just the media attention. Period. Right. So I'm not sure necessarily that Twitter played a huge role in it. Although, of course, it was trending on Twitter um, right when it happened. It might have arguably spread the outrage enough so that the University of Oklahoma – but I I just think that outrage was already there from all these other media outlets. You know, more broadly though, it might be an example of this kind of public shaming thing – working right as it's supposed to work i mean they are really ashamed <laughs> you know the the, the right. two students one of those two students who was expelled issued a, an apology the parents said this is something he's going to have to live with you know that they were horrified this is something he's going to have to live with his whole life and, and and actually i didn't see that much piling on in the way that you sometimes do with this because i think everyone felt pretty satisfied with the response that the university gave which was swift. It was not how these sometimes and well, we have to wait and we have to see, you know, there was none of that. It was just, no, this is beyond the pale. And I don't care if you're, if you weren't on that bus, it doesn't matter. You're getting kicked out. You're getting the whole, like everybody's suffering for this. It's also a good case of collective 
responsibility and collective punishment. Did they release the names of the, what I was asking? Did they actually like are the names public? Like did these? You yeah, know, the names one of, of the, uh, one, one or two. Now, yeah, right. This could turn out to be some horrible thing where now the parents' house is vandalized and they have to like go into witness protection or something like that. But you know, I, I haven't heard anything like that. The only thing I've heard is people's condemning University of Oklahoma for you know, not being protecting free speech. Like that's the backlash. Yeah. No. There's this group called Fire. I got, I got into a mild Twitter battle with them. You know, their free will, or sorry, free expression. This would be protected speech, according to them. But I, you know, I think they were making a legal argument, and they might be right about the legal argument. But the idea that this is contributing to some sort of conversation in the way that <laughs> John Stuart Mill wanted, <laughs> you know, to protect that is is ridiculous because this is just pure epithets this isn't expressing a belief or an opinion right, right. It's i actually just, don't I probably should side, sidestep the whole legal question like because i guess because it's a state school like i'm i'm yeah. okay they I'm might okay get sued it. and successfully sued for this because you're not allowed to kick people off campus for what they say i kind of i don't know they, or they might not because the parents might not want to do that you know Okay, so so is what you're saying then that uh, that your previous position was unreasonable and uh, that no, no. <laughs> that this okay, is let's be let's first of all separate two things, right? This like a bunch of guys on a bus doing you know saying what they did versus some woman just tweeting something out. Well, that, then your argument is a bit different. Your argument is that that people sh- should not judge well, others well, harshly, right? No, no, no. I mean, it's all context, right? I know that you're going to always try to generalize it into a universal principle of some kind. No, it's not. You're using some sort of principle of excessiveness, but go ahead. Yeah, well, that was part of it. Um, But also in that case, I thought it was none of anybody else's business what this one, you know, the like uh, off-color jokes that this one woman was doing on an airplane. With, I, but she, that's but different than an institutional thing, thing, which is clearly, you know, a part of the culture. That's totally different. And and, and also, I, I don't think that registering your outrage about this on Twitter, I don't think that was that's particularly good. I just also don't think it's particularly bad. I mean, these people aren't in that kind of powerless position that the woman was and being expelled for doing that. Hey, wait, like what do you. So this woman, like in a public-facing forum, says racist things, and these guys in a private party are doing racist. But the degree of racism now—the degree of racism—is very different. Okay, but is that is that your argument? Had she there's powerlessness that you mentioned, then there is sort of the group setting that you've mentioned. Your argument feels a, a bit like a moving target because, on the one hand, you could say that it is given a moral infraction; it's not it, people ought not get on Twitter and publicly condemn. But then it sounds no, no, like, I, well, I, I, so, but hold on, hold on, hold on. So then it sounds like you're saying, well, if the infraction is excessive enough, then it's okay to condemn. And, and then the people like, aren't in a totally powerless position where you're piling on. I mean, I made that. I just am not quite sure how this woman is was in a powerless position to receive moral criticism when she tweets out something that was understood by many to be racist. I mean, that's. If she, is she powerless? How how is she, how do you mean powerless? Because this ended up getting her fired from her job. Yeah, but it ended up getting these students expelled. 
Like, I guess I don't understand where the what, but, but, how she's more again, powerless than the student. I, I, I don't think that being fired from your job is a an appropriate response. But I well, do that's think that's different because the Twitter mob didn't fire her. Right. So we're talking about whether the Twitter mob is justified right. or whether this is a good thing. So right. I'm not sure how she's more powerless than these students. They both, you know, putatively said racist things and both got consequences for it from their respective institutions. This, it's not just those two students, right? I mean, th- there are two students that happen to be on it, but the entire bus, a, kind, a, a, a nameless group of students on a bus, white male, here, you'll like this because it's white male bashing, a nameless group of white male SAEs on a bus in, in University of Oklahoma is more power, is, has, has, is less powerless than a, than, a, than a woman going on a trip to South Africa. In what sense? So you actually think that her her status as a a woman should should be taken a single, into account? Yeah, a when single white, a single woman who has a job and needs to make money. Yes, that's correct. Then a but, nameless but so then, group of no, but uh, I'm actually talking about boys. the two. I'm actually talking about the two guys who were singled out. Like, but they weren't actually, singled out on Twitter. Like, if if all of a sudden they now like if people start tweeting out their names and addresses and start you know giving them all death threats, then I would be against that too. Again, it's sort of the the, the excessive nature of the the retribution because their name. That's why I was asking if their names were made public. So so if but not, you found their out names their were name- made public, but not as far as I have seen. Not on Twitter. They they were never those names were never trending and never. This woman was the number one trending topic on Twitter. Right. Again, I mean, that's true. But like, so you're saying if they were the number one trending topic on Twitter, then you would cease to think that this that this the Twitter or yeah. even you know, I, I, even an individual Twitter, person who tweets out their names and addresses or that tweets out something about them, they got punished. Like enough, you don't need to do anything more anymore, Twitter people. You don't need to – now everyone's outraged and everyone responded in kind that has actual connection to these to all these people. You don't need to add anything else. So yes, so, I would be against that. I, so I guess that – I mean in that sense then we agree. Like it took a lot of – you know, if it took – whatever energy that it took to make this public and make Oklahoma act swiftly – Right. Um, then it to me seems like a you know fair a fair thing. And then to the extent that people pile on and excessively you know or like go go all black mirror. Right. Like then then ranges. Yeah. yeah. So so I guess we do agree like that that to to the extent that these forums allow real real instances of unjust behavior to be shamed, then it might actually just be work. So yeah, for, and, yes. and I so agree I, with you that, it, that the problem is – here's where I think you made a very good point on the episode last time. The medium of Twitter makes that hard to calibrate. So you may have just been one person who you know, happen, happened right. to get this tweet and then registered your displeasure with the tweet. Maybe someone you follow retweeted it and registered your displeasure about that woman's remark or something like that. And you had no idea that it would become the number one that, trending topic right. on Twitter and that, that, you know, everyone would be bashing her. I guess the idea would be once that happened, it's not time for you to grab a pitchfork and join the mob. OK, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah. And that's I think that was at the end of the day, my my actual problem with this is sort of like the how to regulate your own behavior, because 
you know, Twitter is so efficient as, you know, you see it, you say like, oh my God, you're an asshole. You know, you might tweet that out sort of shooting from the hip. And then you realize that like a hundred thousand other people at the same time tweeted the same thing. And then I would just actually feel like shit in the way that you're, that right. you're saying, you're right. Exactly. Like you'd be like, oh, oh man, I mean, I didn't. Like, and, the, you know, human beings just haven't been faced with that problem in that in that way before. So right. it's kind of hard to regulate to regulate moral sanctions. And um, we're, you know, like there's a lot of good evidence that we're sort of, des- excuse me, designed to to want to gossip and shame members right. of our close community. And then when the whole the whole world becomes your community that's where things can get out of whack i still think though that there is a phenomenon of people who just like it you know so maybe hey look so yeah. we kind of agreed here <laughs> we did we this is this is i think we kind of needed that after our episodes with sam harris yeah where it was <laughs> by the way speaking <laughs> of twitter I, the last thing and then we'll go to break I, I don't know how we suddenly got dragged into gamergate i don't either I, I thought we made some fairly non-controversial uh, condemnations of death threats. I, I Not even non-controversial. Like I said, I thought I said explicitly, maybe I cut this out in the editing, but that I knew nothing about Gamergate, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. true. I, I, uh, so for the record, uh, Tamler and I are both just primarily against death threats. It matters little to me what proportion of Gamergate tweets are, are actually death threats. And who, tw- oh, and who, and who, de- and who sent who death threats? Like, and who sends who? Like, I would be opposed to the people who are, you know, like on the receiving side to respond with death threats. Like, I'm also opposed to that. Yeah, um, there's a way in which we need to go back to the good old days where if you were going to give somebody a death threat, you had to look <laughs> them in the eye and say, "I'm going to kill you." Right. You can't just least, do it from a or, distance. Or at least have enough have enough, you know, power to print it in the newspaper. Right. Exactly. <laughs> With your name side. Just something that requires a little more effort on your part. Anonymity is a hotbed for cowardice. <laughs> I, I will say though, and I don't want to like minimize the people who have received death threats. I'm sure it would be unpleasant for me to, but it's hard to know how to t- how seriously to take death threats from just some weirdo on twitter that could be anywhere in the world really you know yeah well i i will say you know to register my my opinion about this to to read some of the the like this woman anita sarkissian who's who's been the recipient of many death threats in gamergate i know i'm just welcoming a bunch of emails telling me why why this it's okay Dave but like Pizarro talking. <laughs> i know nothing yeah. about this i need to reiterate that right but leave me but, alone don't hack my stuff or whatever you guys do right. But to read, you know, this is sort of exactly your point, but made extraordinarily, extraordinarily personal and, and excessively received on her part. Like to receive constant threats against her safety with her personal information. And, oh, yeah. No, and, totally. That's awful. That, that would, yeah. again, assuming, it, assuming that's what happened. You know, my, so my stepmother is on the other side of this. And yeah. again, this is one of the reasons I don't get involved is I just don't. Like what I'm against is anybody doing this to to any degree or justifying it even on the basis of of some greater uh, agenda. Even if somebody is completely wrong and unreasonable, you know, just don't fucking threaten them on Twitter. That's just weak weak sauce and and morally cowardly. It's it's such a it's such a cowardly thing to do. You know, yeah. like I can't think of anything more cowardly than that. Uh, yeah. 
and you All deserve right. something bad to happen to you. Yeah, um, that, that's a perfect segue to uh, to. So yeah, in a just world, you'd get your ass kicked. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll uh, take a break, and we'll be right back to talk about beliefs in a just world. See if you got some dirty moves at home. One night show backwards, you see a guy going. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We're going to talk about the belief in a just world and some studies that have been done on that and a related study that might either undermine support or just add another dimension to to that discussion uh, regarding beliefs in free will. Um, Before we do that, we want to thank everybody who has supported us. We recently got a couple of nice sized donations on PayPal and a, and a bunch of and, and some smaller ones as well and we re, you know we really appreciate that that really helps um, and it feels good we put a lot of effort into the show so it's nice to get your support so you can support us on PayPal or you can support us by clicking on the link if you I think only is this only true for American listeners not for it is and I haven't been able to figure out if anybody actually knows how to make this true for international audiences I, I don't know how, you know the the Amazon uh, affiliate thing works um, yeah it gets it gets a little complicated to, to receive international support like that so uh, yeah you can go to our support page click on the Amazon link and then all your shopping do your shopping that you would otherwise do on Amazon, and uh, we will get a, a a small cut of that. And we haven't talked about iTunes and, and reviews, but we've gotten a lot of uh, re- really nice reviews. So thank you guys for taking. Yeah, we should go and read a few of our favorites recently. We've gotten some great ones. Yeah, there's a, uh, what I like. One of the things is just like the most fun about our audience is like the the wit. And we've gotten your emails again. We're 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 bad about responding right now because we have these other jobs and you know it's a struggle to sort of get all the stuff out at the same time and do the other jobs well but um we really we read all the emails and we'll we do try to respond as much as we can and uh you can like us on facebook and participate in the conversation on facebook again we had last two episodes really we've had really good discussions from listeners on the facebook page so yeah, you can like us on Facebook and um, and just keep in touch and at Twitter at Peas at Tamler at Very Bad Wizards. If it's about Gamergate, focus on at Peas. <laughs> <Yes>, again, <laughs> no. I don't know anything about that. 
either uh, for or better, against or anything about. Spend your time. I don't. I don't know. Playing. I don't even know what the triggering event was. I have put. A, I'll put a link to to a couple of articles. But honestly, spend your time playing video games. Don't tweet. About that's it. the thing is, I don't play video games. So this no, is I like know. I know nothing about the whole culture or the like. It all strikes me as. Your world, <laughs> your, I know. your world back, is scary back, to me. With I'm just a caveman. Back, back, I'm just a caveman. Your world frightened and confuses me. <laughs> you know, back when you were playing video games, Frogger wasn't. Yeah, maybe Ms. <laughs> yeah, Pac-Man was a little, was a little <laughs> sexist. I like Frogger, actually. I was good yeah. at Frogger. I kicked some Frogger ass. I mean, not like I actually helped the frog. Just world. Just world. Okay, so this is a phenomenon that was first studied in the 70s right by uh melvin lerner yeah and i think it might have gone down into the 60s but yeah that's yeah maybe into the sick it's one of those phenomenon unlike some of the effects that you guys try to bring out that are supposedly counterintuitive this one has an intuitive aspect to it. It's not a surprising effect. The general idea is that we are motivated to believe that the world is just and that people get what they deserve. If you're a good person, good things will happen to you. If you're a bad person, bad things will happen to you. Why don't you describe the original experiment? But you know, the basic idea, and, and I think that the, the reason that it's that it was viewed as important and has gotten so much attention since then is is the fear that this is an irrational sort of, sort of a bias. Basically, they had participants view somebody receiving shocks. If you are a normal human being, this is actually quite uncomfortable to see somebody um, get get uncomfortably shocked over and over again. But what they found is that uh, while participants were sort of you know angered and upset by this initially as people continued to get the shocks what what ended up happening is that this other process kicked in where the participants started to just sort of uh blame the victims or derogate the victim the recipients of shocks the way that they dealt with this this sense that that the person was being unjustly punished was actually to and almost this, this sort of you know defense mechanism psychodynamic way by just re reworking the way that they saw the world as that this person must be deserving of these shots and that is just easier to deal with so if somebody is suffering you can and you can't do anything about it I think that was an, was a, an important component of the, at least the original demonstration. It's not that you can step in and remove the shock or tell the experimenter to stop doing it. The person was receiving the shocks over and over again. You had no control over it. So I, I think they did this. With the, they did a bunch of variations. In some, you you could stop it. In others, you were powerless to stop it. In some, you could see her face. In others, you couldn't see her face. In some, when they were told that 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 the subject was getting compensated for the suffering, then this didn't happen. Right. And then somewhere she wasn't even getting compensated for the suffering. And in those cases, they were most motivated to find some reason why she deserved. Um, so right. the more powerless you were and the more innocent the, the victim was. And the even the greater the suffering. So yeah. like if it was more excessive shocks, and, then you were even more excessively derogating of the victim. 
And this was done just after, Mil- you know, the Milgram experiments. You know, it's another example of Milgram was different. Milgram was test your willingness to inflict the suffering. This is more testing your willingness to allow it to go on and explaining what's going on inside your head. You are figuring out a way where this person is getting what they deserve. Right. And I think this is an important component because, you know, although obviously Milgram Milgram was interested in the actual behavior, like, you know, how how could it be that people could actually inflict suffering? I I think that Lerner's contribution, or at least his shift in the emphasis, uh, is an important one because it's most of us aren't the ones who are actively out there causing the suffering, at least not regularly. But we all have to react, at least, right? Right. We're confronted with a lot of injustice and suffering. Exactly. And so the way that we often deal with this is by just saying, well, they must have deserved it. This is hopefully disconcerting. And, and, you know, if you want, you you could certainly use this as a free will skeptic. This is missed a grist for their mill, not missed for their grill. It's also missed for their grill. It's uh, because, right, isn't one of the one very plausible explanation for why we have this need to believe in a just world is because it's scary if that's not the case for us because then we we lose control over our fate we like to think that if we are good people and we do the right things then we'll be rewarded for that and not punished for that and when you see other people suffering through no fault of their own you know you think that could be me that takes away your control over your own fate Right. And you can you could see why this could explain or at least describe fairly well a whole lot of of uh, beliefs that that get propagated in society like about poor people, well they're poor cuz they deserve to be poor or uh, prejudice against certain outgroups. Well, you know, the reason that say underrepresented minorities don't get jobs because they're not working hard. There's a lot of experiments now. So with rape victims, the the blaming the victim phenomenon. But to the extent that this effect is, is, is real and universal, it would explain a lot of our sort of inaction when it comes to injustice. And and that's sort of the puzzle. So it's really related to Oh, you know, a problem that's been around forever. I mean, just the general problem of evil and how, how you face it, right? The problem of theodicy and all that. Religion provided kind of a handy way out of this. So, okay, so you're confronted with something that doesn't seem right. just. You can say, well, the person deser- deserved it, uh, so so therefore it's okay. Everything is right with the world. I know that I won't get any bad consequences unless I do something to deserve it. I remember, did you have this intuition as a kid that even, like, I remember getting hurt, like, randomly. Just say, like, for example, say you just stub your toe randomly. And I thought, I, I would actually have these thoughts, like this sort of, this wild, wild imagination about justice where I thought to myself, well, what did I do? Like, maybe I did something wrong. Right. Um, no, that, it's that the karma, the kind of a belief in a, in, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I still have that, a kind of a, you know, this lingering belief in. So, so I remember when I was a kid, there was, uh, one of my first instances of sort of being confronted with the, the death of somebody. Uh, there was a little kid and his father who had been family friends and they had recently visited us and I had been playing with a little kid. And a couple of months later, you know, they were just passing through town. A couple of months later, I found out that they had been, um, both killed in a car accident. I must have been, I don't know how old I was, 
fairly young, right? This is may before first grade probably. And I remember asking my family, why did that happen? We were raised very religious. And I remember some unnamed person in my family who <laughs> denies that she ever gave me this explanation saying, well, maybe God knew that later on they would do something really bad. <laughs> and I was like, wow, man, I, look at that, it's fucked up. <laughs> like, it's like Minority <laughs> Report, right? <laughs> yeah, was like the God of pre-crime. <laughs> I was like, man, you know, you might as well just wipe everybody out, right? Like, like, like the flood. Yeah. Well, I think God tried that, and it was like, yeah, she shouldn't have saved. Just the new ones are going to be just as bad. Well, I mean, so also, I mean, religion also gives um, a nice answer to this if the religion is an afterlife religion, because right. a person who you just know was good, that that was always something to fall back on is that the good people were going to heaven and the bad people are going to hell. You can't see it, but they'll get, they didn't get what was coming to them in this life, but they'll get it in the next one. Right. And right. that was also something. And when that goes away, that really does leave you with, wow, bad people can have good lives and good people can have bad lives and that's right just, like the injustice becomes like way more noticeable if you discard the, the like belief in anything from from karma and in any in any metaphysical supernatural sense to like uh, at that point you have to be like socrates and just think that when you live a good life you that's that will make you happier and that living a bad life will make you miserable on in this world and you know there is something definitely to that there is a virtue is its own reward there's there's a grain of truth to that but sometimes people just get you know there are tragedies i see when when, when kids die yeah no absolutely it just became so so clear to me being raised religious when i read the brothers karamazov and you have uh ivan the atheist arguing with Alyosha, the the believer, yeah. and yeah. all he's doing is you know he's he's giving them these these really clear examples of from newspaper clippings that he's collected of yeah kids, just the kids. worst examples possible yeah. the, the the boy being ripped apart in front of his mother by right. by, by dogs from yeah. this rich general uh, yeah and you're like wait wait so who did who did what now to deserve this? <laughs> But here's what I don't get, though. I can see the motivation, and you can even spin an evolutionary story that we are motivated to seek out unfairness and punish it. You know, there's one sense in which, like, if you're motivated to not like injustice, then what you do is find unfairness and punish it, right? And, like, that story makes sense to me. They're just like, well, I guess it's fair after all kind of explanation. It seems to me that, like, the first instance in which you experience something unfair you might realize upon reflection that you really didn't deserve it. That's what it means to be unfair. And then, and, and just be able to apply it to other people. But well, th- so this is my question. I wonder if this study has been done. I don't, I, I, I sort of searched in a, in the best way I could and didn't find any examples of it. But I wonder if you did an experiment testing people because they have scales to measure people's belief in a just world. You would think that, say, rich, privileged people would be more motivated to believe in a just world than people who grew up in poverty, went to terrible schools, because it helps the status quo and not believe that that your wealth and happiness is 
is is exploitative exploitative what's the freaking word there uh, you know the, yes. the, so so i wonder if the belief is stronger at the you know for high ses people or rather than low ses or are you so motivated that you need to believe that you're in control that it might even be lesser for high SES people and and higher for low SES people because they they even mo- they even more than anybody else need to cling to a belief that their fates are in their control. So I don't know which way that I don't even know what I would predict for that. Right. But it would be yeah. an interesting to see if there's variation. Yeah, this has to have been done. I think, you know, there's another theory that sort of came out of belief in a just role. It's called system justification theory. And they've argued that that there is this just sort of general desire to defend the status quo. But I think that's just clearly the case when the status quo is beneficial for you. But I think that the finding, the interesting finding, is that it occurs across the spectrum, whether or not it's right. it's higher in those people or right. not. Certainly, you know, my anecdotal experience is that my working class students tend to be the most libertarian of all my students. And again, again, that could be just, you know, that they find those arguments compelling, or it could be also a kind of need to believe that your fate is in your control. So I have a, I have a, uh, an answer to this. So, so it turns out that there have been some studies that show, for instance, that women are less likely to believe in a just world than men, but a, a bunch of findings have actually demonstrated that there is if anything, higher belief in a just world for people who are disadvantaged. So yeah. they're actually, it's just a coping strategy right. um, in some way that they, they will. And so this is, this is used as an explanation for why they often don't challenge the injustices. Because um, one of the most miserable feelings to have is the feeling that you're getting fucked over. Yeah. You know, aside from people dying and suffering right in front of me, think like that's the feeling that drives me crazy the most that I'm getting fucked over. And so, belief in a just world would make it so that even if you don't understand exactly how, you're not getting fucked over. So this is so I'll maybe segue into into this paper that I want to talk about. But but what's interesting about this this kind of argument and this kind of finding is that it, it it flips. It flips the way that we think this should occur on its head. I'm saying rather than believing that justice is the good thing and then noticing instances of injustice and, and then being motivated to, to, to disagree with it, you are seeing instances of injustice. And this is just ramping up your, your belief that things are as they should be. In this motivated way, the motivation is I don't want to believe that the world is unjust is so strong that it's actually just making you perceive the the incident, uh, putative injustice or whatever, as not unjust at all. And that's right. a it's a weird it's a weird way in which it turns on its head like the processes we think it should go right. I mean, it seems it seems pretty rational that you should act to alleviate the injustice yeah i mean so the they've done studies a lot of these studies like um where belief in a just world where you are on that scale 
can predict, although the effects are pretty slight, but they can predict your views on poverty, on income inequality. It can predict your views on affirmative action, sexual assault. The more just that you believe the world is, and this is also very intuitive, the less you will be in favor of remedies that are explicitly designed to address injustice. It's just not broken. Don't fix it. Right, right, exactly. It's weird, though, that the motivation to want justice can sort of turn into this just motivation to really, really sort of blind yourself to, to perceived injustice. So let's take a quick break. But then this is why I think that this paper actually that we're about to discuss actually might be in tension with the, all the just world literature. So, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll be right back. to very bad wizards i uh, i just want to quickly read we were mentioning the our, our wonderful itunes reviews and, and uh, we we're thanking people but uh, but there was one that was just posted by type stereo titled gunga galunga and this just brought a smile to our face last week i lost my girlfriend my job and moved back in with my parents but there are still four episodes of very bad wizards that i have not listened to yet so i've got that going for me which is nice <laughs> that's good <great>. I, <laughs> I was going to say, I hope that's true, but I don't really hope it's true because I hope the guy didn't really lose his so girlfriend. So type stereo, uh, sorry about your girlfriend, your job, and I hope your yeah. parents are, are awesome. Yeah. You know, treasure them. They're, uh, I now no longer have any, so. Oh, you know, man. I have no We were just talking about how we needed to up the level of humor in this episode, and there you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and just sad violin. Fuck. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, that's funny. That's you funny. You know what also sucks is the Holocaust. <laughs> you must have deserved. My uh, dying. <laughs> I mean, my dad lived in 91, so no complaints yeah. there. So let's get back to this. But thank you for your, your iTunes reviews. And please continue to leave them. And again, we haven't asked people to leave negative ones in a while. But No, um, no. I, you know, we flirted with that. I feel like my self-esteem. Took a, uh, enough, for, but you know I'm also Repu- weaker than you. We haven't had a repugnant in a while, or at least a <laughs> repugnant that uh, you know wasn't five stars, sort of. As right, a joke. right, right, right. But it, maybe that's because we're not repugnant. We aren't. Enough. We aren't being repugnant enough. I feel like we've sort of slowly moved as our audience has grown into. into we're getting like, well, cla- are we getting? Re- are we selling out? Are we being classy? I actually think that you're you're repugnant enough. Okay. Often. But what we need is another you know growing up with with sexist toys episode. Uh, let's do a whole episode on Gamergate. Let's just, uh, 
Although yeah. I, I feel I, I, I've lived a good life not getting involved. I in would rather country. you actually play a bunch of video games than read a whole bunch about game recording. <laughs> um. I, I think, honestly, like this is the thing about video games. I, I make myself not get involved because I think that I have the potential that where I could just get totally addicted to them. It would destroy my life in, in right. a way much worse than like heroin would. You mentioned that because you've been through heroin already, so you know. <laughs> and that, that was great. Yeah, I think you mentioned in one episode about like these these sort of games where you. Oh yeah, more. like Candy Crush. You're right. I couldn't even <laughs> yeah. handle Candy Crush. Did I mention when <laughs> I was my friend and I were writing a screenplay one summer after college, and there was this game called Ghouls and Ghosts that was like yeah. one of those games where you have to move to different levels and complete the story. And and by by the end, we went out to the woods. We were in like a cabin in the the, the woods. And we went out and we took the game at like four in the morning when we had been playing it for like 58 straight hours. And we just beat the game with the baseball bat so that we couldn't play it anymore. Like the printer on Office Space? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. But this was pre-Office Space, so they plagiarized us. Uh, at least they got their script made into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't have ghouls and ghosts. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, uh, motivated belief and free will. So, so this is, yeah, Corey, okay, so Clark. Corey Clark. So this is a paper that came out recently by um, Corey Clark, Jamie Liguri, Pete Ditto, Josh Nob. He's on everything. The basic finding here is, and it reminded me, when we were talking about Just World, it reminded me of this flavor of stuff. But as you point out, it's, it's slightly different and maybe even inconsistent. But the, uh, the idea in this paper, and they, they present five studies, uh, again, we'll link to this on raybadwizards.com slash episode slash 64, I guess. 64 fucking episodes, God. The idea is that, uh, again, inverting inverting our common sense theory on its head, where you might imagine that it is your belief in free will, that the belief that people has this, this sort of ability to control um, their own actions in a deep way is what gives rise to feelings of moral responsibility the findings in this paper what they're arguing is that what's primary is not a belief that people are are fundamentally free what's primary is this motivation to to punish blame blame and punish right yeah so when whenever you're presented with an instance of a behavior that you find to be morally reprehensible you then ramp up your belief that free will is true has the flavor of a just world explanation in that well it has the flavor of it but it also might be inconsistent with it because what just world beliefs do is make you not act to address injustices whereas the point of this is to make you want to act to specifically to punish wrongdoing because oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, so what it does, so let's describe the the studies, and then we can talk about the the possible okay. implications. So the, the common theme to the studies is you present people with a case in which somebody did something morally wrong, um, and then you measure their general attitudes toward belief in free will. I'll talk about specifically one interesting study, study three. They got people in a class, and they sent out an email to all the members of the class. For one group of people, they just sent out an email, an email, this was the control condition, saying, hey, next class period, we're going to have uh, an activity, an in-class activity. For another group of people, they said, uh, hey, this, is, this email is to let you guys know that we found some evidence that, of cheating 
in class and we don't know the identity of the person but we're looking for who it is so that we can punish them and a third group got an email saying hey we want to let you know that there was an instance of cheating in the class we know who it was and we've punished them and then they measured belief in in free will and what they found was that uh people are more likely to believe in free will or report that they believe in free will and this is as measured by this free will and determinism scale uh, which we've talked we've, about on an earlier about, episode right. and it has we had serious problems and we had problems right. with it yeah. Yeah. To the extent that this is measuring anything like statements about people's general capacity. So your overall score on the scale is higher. That is, you're more likely to believe in general free will in the case, in the condition here where there was an instance of cheating. Somebody, you know, somebody did something wrong, but they have yet, they have not yet been punished. And now both of the punishment conditions were people, people believed more highly in free will than in the control condition. That is, people also believed uh, more in free will in the case where somebody had already been punished, but right. they were significantly higher in the condition where, where they have yet they to be punished. Yet to- What's consistent with the just world hypothesis, tell me if you agree with this, is when somebody already has been punished— if you attribute free will to them, then it's like justice was done. And so that's, con- you know, it's like I, 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 you don't want to think that an innocent person was punished. That would be unjust. So exactly. Yeah, it exactly. helps you to, it, you know, it, it, the, just, the world becomes more just if you believe that the punished person had free will when they committed the wrongdoing. So that, that is consistent. But the fact that the effect is higher when the person has yet to be punished that's the that's right there seems not consistent because that means that uh somebody will have cheated of their own free will and they're going to get away with that right and, it is good to see that there was this effect that's consistent with the just rule hypothesis that that one condition was different from neutral but i guess that their their view is sort of this 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 third condition is the puzzling one. So it might be that this is just a separate mechanism that's going on where it is this desire to seek out and, and find. And just to keep that motivation going, you need to believe that it's justified. Um, the, so the idea here is like, you know, once it's done, the, the psychic energy, that motivation is, is complete. Like that goal has been completed. Um, right. We should make it clear. No, they don't bring in the just world phenomenon at all in this paper, right? I mean, no, what they no, want to show is that this is connected to a punitive motivation. So, that, and, and there's a lot of literature on this, too, that we're motivated to punish wrongdoing and we will find excuses um, when we need to to figure out to justify punishing somebody who committed some sort of wrong. Yeah, they, they mentioned the just world hypothesis. Oh, they do. But you read these they, things more carefully. <laughs> yeah. So here's yeah. the study that I actually wanted to. Uh, one time they mentioned. <laughs> I realize that when you see numbers, you get scared. I mean, they I literally, was... it's like an off the most offhand remark. I'm looking at it. Right now. We'll leave it to our listeners to decide. The study that I thought you would like. Well, I wasn't sure if you would agree with it or or not, but I thought it would is sort of up your alley. This is getting out of the lab. Their last study. Where the argument here, again, is to the extent that you're faced with immoral shit, you're more likely to want to believe in free will because that's what it takes to be willing to punish or to justify punishment. Which, by the way, I guess 
not everybody would agree with to begin with. I, I suppose Eddie Namius would have some strong words about this. Last study is looking at, at a country-by-country country level. The prediction and the finding is that when there is greater crime, like higher crime rates, that people will be more likely to believe in free will. So again, this has this, this structure. People are faced with, so in this case, uh, they looked specifically at homicide rates across countries, but they also looked at robbery, rape, kidnapping, assault, theft, child sexual assault, burglary, auto theft, and human trafficking. They're all drawn from this, this sort of database of statistics. And they uh, looked at the World Values Survey, which is, is given to people across, across nations, and their response on um, one particular item. And so the item is some people feel they have completely free choice and control over their lives, while other people feel that what they do has no real effect on what happens to them. Please use which the scale not or one. Free, which is, I mean, this is, we talked about this, but I have to highlight it again. You cannot believe in free will, but just recognize the, the obvious fact. Like, I'm sure Sam Harris understands that he does things and the things that he does has an effect on his life. It's, it's, okay, it's, but, it, but it should so just wait. be replaced with a belief in fatalism rather than a belief in, uh, that has anything to do with free will. Well, this is the second part of the question. Let me know if, yeah. if this does anything to... To cover this. So please use the scale where one means none at all and 10 means a great deal to indicate how much freedom of choice and control you feel you have over the way your life turns in. So it is still interesting that you have variability such that people, you know, you're lumping together the word freedom of choice and control and those could be teased so That's apart. the exact thing that can be because there's clearly senses in which there are times where we do have control over our fates and then there are other times where we are at the mercy of our fates. And yeah. I see that as separate from the free will thing, unless they're assuming, which, I, which they're not, a fully compatibilist understanding of free will. You know, and this gets again to whether or not, like conceptually, I'm completely on board with you. It's just that whether or not people do a good job of teasing this apart. Because I, I feel like when you say, do, do you have control over your life? People may actually take that to mean, as the legions of sort of, you know, tweets that <laughs> we got, where they don't, many people have trouble separating the two. So if you have no control, how could you have free will? And if you have no free will, that means you have no control. Like this question, you're right in that it's not doing anything to tease it apart. But I don't know that people just, your average layperson is teasing it apart. And so they might take absence of free will to mean lack of, of agenda control. If you ask people, do you believe in ultimate metaphysical free will and do you believe that you have control over your, your everyday actions, that they might just read that to be the same thing, right? And yeah, so, I just don't think they think about ultimate metaphysical free will. So I don't think that, that that's a meaningless concept to most good people. It could be. So you could just say that what they're answering is – so like, well, let's have, just pretend like, that what you, they're answering like, is – Do you feel like you're in a Greek tragedy or do you feel like you're in a Jane Austen might, novel? I, I think people might actually think more about metaphysical free will than they do about Greek <laughs> tragedies in Jane Austen novel. But let's just say though that, that what this is measuring is directly agentic. Do, do the conclusions – about the motivated desire to believe in agenda control. I mean, I think it's still an interesting, interesting yeah, thing. So, sure. so what they find is that in countries where crime is higher, um, people are more likely to endorse this question. 
what this question about control and free freedom of choice. And so <clears throat> important. Yeah, that is interesting. Totally. Yeah. Importantly, they control for for a lot of things. So they control for gross domestic capital. They control for the Gini coefficient, which is a measure of, of income inequality. They control for the kind of government, the, the regime type. They control for literacy. Um, and what they find is above and beyond these things, uh, people seem to, in countries where there is more crime, they seem to believe, they're more likely to believe in whatever it is we're calling this. I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a question of whether this is confounded with anything else. Like, I don't think they measure religiosity. I think people are much more likely to believe when when they're religious, and some of these countries might defer in that in that way. But I think it is it is an interesting finding that in a sort of unexpected way that just shit going around like makes you the motivation is to like well like there's lots of crime there's lots of rape and murder if i if i discount my belief in free will then i'm just going to lose the ground i the grounds i have for finding and punishing these people yeah see i don't i think if i had to guess and of course it's very complicated and this a little, little messy even for me but um that this is consistent with the just world kind of idea where you know if you see a lot of crime going around you you want to believe that people have control over their lives because you feel powerless like that's a great example of where you feel powerless so this is just like we were saying about it's like a coping mechanism so this might be a coping mechanism of i still want to believe even though you know like i i my my uncle was shot two weeks ago i i I still want to believe that i have the control and power to not have that happen to me in a random totally unjust way that would be my guess of how to so so it's not it's so So it's not specifically about finding and punishing these people that's right um but rather so yeah i wonder that's a that's a good point i mean i i take it that their experiments are meant you know that that for it especially that one experiment that i mentioned is meant to 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 try to have a more causal link between the actual motivation to punish. But it could be just, yeah, re, sort of reinforcing your own ability to control your life right? rather than the desire to punish. It, it would be great if they... If, the, if they get control for one of those. Um, yeah. I also like they did one where they found, I think this is study four, where just as a methodological thing, that they found that people were more skeptical of anti-free will right you know, right sci- sci- scientific thing i don't know if they read them the francis crick thing or something like that but they like that's kind of cool that um that right. people were more skeptical in cases where they had just seen wrongdoing so this specifically is sure it says participants were told there was a current debate in psychology about the existence of free will they were informed that they had been assigned to read one side of the debate and we're told to remember the information. Blah, blah. All participants were given an anti-free will debate passage, which discussed real research in psychology on automaticity and unconscious processes. The debate excerpt focused primarily on the aspect of choice and free will and did not mention moral responsibility. Participants yeah. were asked to evaluate the anti-free will argument by responding to seven questions. How convinced they were, how much they wanted to read more about the research mentioned, whether they thought the psychologist believed the arguments, whether the psychologist was purposely being controversial to get his or her name in the papers. How important in the papers. I love how they used in the papers. Like it's, right. it's like it's like nineteen seventy five. Yeah, like in the evening edition. Hey, read, read all about it. Scientists deny free will. 
Um, <laughs> how important research on automaticity and unconscious processes is, whether this should re- receive more funding and whether it should be a central area. And then they, they sort of collapse all of these in general. And there was a significant effect that participants who, who had previously read about the Immoral Act rated the debate and research on automaticity more negatively than those who read about the Morally Neutral Act. This is one of those cases where it's, it's a nice additional finding. You, you wish that they had kind of included some sort of control condition where they upset you, right? Like in some other way. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Um, and so you're not just getting an effect of being pissed off makes you reject arguments. No, that's right. The, yeah. the, something that upset you, but not because of somebody doing something wrong. Right, like read this passage on Gamergate. Oh, wait. Just... Remember, tweet <laughs> at peas, not at <laughs> So it's it's really this this the collection of studies that's making this argument. But but again, it's one of those cases where any given study is could be just a, a different interpretation. like. The, but I mean, and, and I believe, you know, I think both of us, I in 2007, I did a whole paper called The Illusion of Freedom Evolves, where I argued that the illusion of free will, this was back when I was in my free will skeptics days, Sam Harris listeners. I mean, it's, it was kind of a crazy evolutionary argument, but the idea was that we needed to believe that people were free in order to hold them morally responsible. And then, you know, I I was using more research like in Trivers and uh, Robert Frank and that whole literature of that the punitive emotions are important for enforcing cooperative norms. And so that that was a strong – we had this strong punitive motivation to punish wrongdoing and that the way we did it was to believe that they had free will. I've argued – for exactly the same thing and i believe that to a large extent you know yeah i actually in 2010 i stole your argument and adina roski's argument actually because she also has has argued this um in a, in a paper i did with eric helzer called we yeah it was called freedom of the real freedom of the will and stubborn moralism and the idea was that that it, it really is this desire much much along the lines that you just said having not read your paper um very, sure you didn't yeah. No, no. Believe me, I've barely read any of your work. I look forward to reviewing your forthcoming book. Um, <laughs> just don't include any results sections. Where we argue this, the same thing. So I think I find this this to be a very plausible account of, of what's going on. I don't think any anybody really just on their own thinks about metaphysical free will too much um, right. without you know being exposed to Sam Harris books or or. Hamler Summers arguments. I think that just left to their own devices, people are actually just thinking about agency and local control over their own actions. How much control they have over their fate. Yeah. But I believe that like when you ask people about their metaphysical beliefs and free will, even if you ask it perfectly right that you would get these these findings that people are like, oh yeah, that's right. We do, you know, we are casa sui. Well, you know, one thing that would be interesting, and I don't know if we, maybe we could have Eddie Eddie Namias back on, but I, I I'd like to sort of break down the phenomenology, the sort of subjective experience of choice. I know we've talked about this, I'm sure, because we've, we've done free will to death. But just the so, but, but maybe one aspect that we haven't explored as much is just what is the experience like? Is it do we experience life like libertarians think the, that life is, which is that we have these two alternatives and it's totally up to us which one of those alternatives we can choose 
in a way that would make us morally responsible for that choice. But again, setting aside whether it's true or not, is that just how we experience choice? Yeah, it is a good question. I, although even as you laid it out, I think that that's asking questions about agents. So I, I actually, I actually think, and I don't, I don't know. I'm sure someone has argued this, but I actually think that the the way that we even extrapolate information about people in general having having any control is just from that subjective feeling of like, imagine that I have you. You put your hands behind your back and you put a candy in one, and you tell you tell a kid to choose which one. Which one do you want? My left hand or my right hand? That feeling of deliberation right before they they decide, I think that is the primary template by which we we then judge whether or not other people... We attribute um, to others that same degree of control that we feel that we have. I mean, that's certainly, you know, that's the Galen Strawson view. That's certainly a view that I've held. I think Eddie believes that it's not like that we don't, like when you really break down that experience, and I guess we talked about this with Sam a bit in the first um, shorter episode. It was only like two and a half hours. (laughs) We talked about the experience. I actually think it's, it would be difficult, and I think it is difficult, to come up with an instance in which you didn't have that kind of control. There are times when maybe I can say, "Well, no, um, you find don't you find yourself walking into a room all the time that you've no does, idea why you went there and like." Well, so not, not all the time, but every you know every so often that happens, and so the, those were along the lines of the example, or like or driving in in a driving, like yeah. you were going home and you're like, "Oh shit, I, I wasn't thinking about it at all." But those are those instances of mindlessness. Where like you know I can accept that like when I'm if I if I were sleepwalking or or even in my dreams when I you know I don't actually have the sort of awareness of, of what I'm doing but but for most things that I would call a choice I find I'm hard pressed to think of me making a t- making a decision where I felt com- like out of control like you know m- maybe in cases where you completely lose your cool. Like I would feel like, well, I don't know that I could have done otherwise. I lost it. But I, I think that people maybe like you I think, think that even looking back on it, or just at in the moment. I think maybe even looking back on it, I might do something along the lines of what you said, which is blame myself anyway. Right? right. I might say like I deserve to be blamed for whatever you know. I shouldn't be that kind of person. But I think that 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 looking back, there are some instances where I realize I probably couldn't have done otherwise unless by by having you know, the ability to do otherwise. You mean like have structured my life such that I wouldn't lose my cool or something like that. I mean, very locally, I felt like I lost control. But I think those are rare. And I actually think that I'm more likely to explain other people's behavior. And this is I know this is contrary to a whole bunch of social psychology like on this. But I think that there are times when we are actually more likely to say like, you know, my friend, he just lost control. Don't blame him. Um, No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm in control most of the time. Like you do. You must be (laughs) like, I I feel like I'm like most of my life is spent (laughs) in a, in a robot like days. Somehow things get done, but I rarely experience myself uh, like like, deliberating. uh, You're like an animal. I do feel like that happens sometimes, but I don't. You're like a hamster. You're like an animal. You're like, no. Yeah, You know what? I'm looking at this hamster right now and I'm starting to like it. Harmony. I think it's a girl hamster if its name is Harmony. I don't know if it has a hamster penis. <laughs> All right. On that note, 
Have we exhausted Have we exhausted a discussion of free will at agency? We should have Eddie back on at some point. Yeah, just to talk about this, maybe for a segment or something like that. We don't want him to get... I think he really believes the opposite of what you believe. And yeah. I think I'm somewhere in the middle, so that, you know, it would be nice to not be on the extreme side of a certain argument. argument. Play your role of so, being like the, the peacekeeper. Just have me and Eddie argue it out. That's really, <laughs> I've never thought anybody would experience that phenomenology. I, I, I genuinely never thought about that. Like, I always argue against these automaticity findings and unconscious findings where, like, come on, man, you decided to write that paper to begin with. Like, you're telling me you have no. You know? well, I mean, like at the in the extreme form, like Wagner or something like that. I think that's not, yeah, that's that that, that doesn't strike me because there's certainly like long term plans that you make for yourself, like deciding to go camping this week, right, right. Uh, for spring break. You know, like that that was clearly like, and then deciding where to go, like, like you know, there was definitely like, should we go here? That's farther. Should we go there? You know, that does feel like at that moment we can choose which one of those things we want to do. But I I, I, I I see those instances in my day-to-day life as more the exception than the rule. Uh, well, I, I invite you to imagine the burden that I live with of having such, <laughs> such freedom, the burden of freedom. I'm like in, that, yeah. in those, like, those jam experiments where like, I have to pick like, between 17 different flavors of jam. Like, I am just constantly depleted because of all the No, you're I like have. Sartre's, uh, you know. Exactly. You're constantly creating yourself every day. <laughs> <laughs> existence precedes essence or whatever he said all right so we're gonna have the simpsons camus camus is something but sartre is smartra so then i said to woody allen well camus can do but sartre is smartra (laughs) so original (laughs) how droll yeah, well, Scooby-Doo can doo-doo, but Jimmy Carter is smarter. All right, uh, join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Just a very bad wizard.